Bible scripture reading today will be out of the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5, picking up in verse 22. I do want to just make a few quick announcements for the youth. Uh, We had a fantastic time yesterday. Uh, I think for fishing, we probably caught more birds' nests than fish. (laughs) But... uh, I think award for best fisherman actually goes to Addy, the only one who caught anything. Um, even though Wade at one point did catch both a branch and a rock at the same time. I don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> oh, we had a whole lot of fun, and I do need to thank Nathan Mosser for pushing me up a mountain. Wouldn't have made it otherwise. And uh, still breathing heavy, by the way. Still breathing heavy for that. Uh, We do have a few things going on this next week for the youth. We have uh, a bake night on Friday. We're preparing for an appreciation dinner on Saturday. That is open to the the elders and the deacons. Um, So Friday night, I think it's 530? Am I close? I think, all right, 530. Um, 5.30, come on out, we're going to be doing some baking, and dinner will be provided that night as well uh, for anybody who comes on out. And then Saturday, I think the, fest, the doors open at, I don't even know, uh, we'll get that time out. I haven't looked, I'm sorry. Uh, but that's going on, and as far as young adults go, we'll be meeting this week again to continue our Bible study in uh, uh, spiritual warfare, and that is on Tuesdays at 6.30. Uh, So come on out. We're having a whole lot of fun doing a whole lot of different stuff. Uh, So if you fit into those demographics, it would be fantastic to have you guys. Uh, So again, let's open our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this this chance to come and hear your word. Lord, I ask that our hearts and our minds would be focused on what you would have for us. Lord, bless Pastor Doug. uh, Give him strength of body to be able to preach your word today. Lord, I ask that you would protect this church uh, from any distraction today. From anything that would not want us to hear your word. Lord, I ask that we would be focused singularly on you this morning. I ask and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. 
There's a request that is listed in your uh, prayer sheet that uh, Pastor Steve made mention of this morning. An individual by the name of Chris. He's a nephew of Gary and Susan Reed. And Chris, at times, from a condition that he has, finds himself, finds himself with pneumonia, which causes a great distress on his body, so much so that he goes into a semi-coma. Over time, Chris has wondered if life is worth living because of this condition. Also in times past, the doctors have given him uh, medication that brings him out of this coma and also uh, sets back, if you will, the, the pneumonia. And this most recently Friday, Susan and Gary got a call, and Chris again has unfortunately gone into another one of these sessions, but this time, prior to it, he has told the doctors not to do anything. Do not resuscitate me. We don't know where Chris stands with Jesus. Maybe we've been asking the Lord to give us opportunity to meet with him, but at every obstacle, the door has been closed. I ask that you pray that one more time I'd have that opportunity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, the soul of this young man rests in your hands. We do not know where, if he was to leave this earth, we're not made aware of any indication of where he has trusted in you. I'm asking, and I know that Susan and Gary are also praying, and I ask that we as a congregation, Lord, would remember the situation and what medication can't do, we know that you can. I pray that you would give me, going along with Susan and Gary, give us an opportunity one last time, Lord, please, I ask that you'd give us one last time. Let it be an appointed time that we would be able to come and to speak to Chris concerning the glorious truth that Jesus Christ loves him so much that he died for him and that he can be changed from that which is lost to that which is found. He can be assured of the very truth that is spoken to us in your word that he who has the Son has life. And these things are written to us who believe in the name of the Son of God that we may know we have eternal life. And that's the truth, Lord, that I know that Susan and Gary and myself would love to be able to share with Chris. 
but that time is in your hands. I pray for his parents as they stand by helplessly, not being able to interact or even intersect their son's life. I pray, God, that your peace somehow in some way would be ushered into the situation that maybe they too would come to know you, to trust in you, to believe in you. I'm not talking about a mental ascent of knowing a little bit about Jesus. I'm talking about the depth of the soul and the spirit that has a relationship with Jesus. I pray, God, that you would make this happen. As Pastor Steve prayed, Lord, I, I ask, too, that you would come and be our honored guest. We're about to expose some of the tricks of our arch enemy on the family. And he's going to try his best to distract us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that by your blood we can remain focused. I thank you that by your blood we can be protected. And I thank you that by your blood we can also have a changed position. That we can walk with you in all of the ways of our lives. So may you be honored. Honor yourself by your word. For your word is truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would be honored by the way we live out the truth. For that is our heartfelt cry. That in these days of darkness, when the world system is trying to deplete and trying to destroy the traditional family, that, Lord God, we would stand strong. That we would be the ones to be able to rise up and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And in these things we ask you, we come and plead before your throne, Lord Jesus, that you would be honored. And I thank you in your name. Amen. A professor of Dallas Theological Seminary, you may have heard of his name before, maybe even come across some of his writings, Howard Hendricks, one time described marriage as this. He said, marriage is like flies on a screen door during a summer rain. Some are trying to get in, and some are trying to get out. My, my hope is that we stop the stem of those trying to get out. To try to stay in. In, in scripture, we are told, as Pastor Steve read for us this morning... That there is a mystery to be shown. 
I've entitled this particular message this morning, The Mystery of Mirroring. You can go ahead and put that slide up, brother. The Mystery of Mirroring. For in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, The Apostle Paul says, I speak concerning a mystery. A definition of a mystery is a revealed truth that once was not clear. In the annals of time, there are portions that God keeps as a mystery until the proper time. This appears to be one of those times. When you go into an extensive study in the book of Ephesians, which is not our our plan today, you will find out that Ephesus was full of false gods. It was the home of one of the wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. A goddess that was worshipped as the producer of life and the giver of joy. And it was that city that the Apostle Paul spent three years there teaching the scriptures. This letter is written back to this church. To remind them of not only their position in Christ, but also to the place that they are to walk in. So we've come to this mystery. And how do we mirror it is the issue. The Apostle Paul explains for us. That the union between a man, husband, and woman, wife, I've got to be very clear on that. God did not create Adam and Steve. Let that soak into theology of your back cranium. He created man and woman. For the purpose of glorifying him in the life that they lived. In other words, mirroring the kingdom of heaven on this earth. You think that marriage is just to make you happy. That's a byproduct that happens if. You follow the precepts of the word of God. Now some of you here this morning are too young to be married. But I got to prepare you for what's ahead. Some of you are saying, I ain't getting married. I used to say that too until I turned 19. As the under-shepherd of the over-shepherd and doing research of the particular theology that is known as Black Lives Matters, 
one of their precepts is to destroy their traditional family. That's what they want to do. And I can't let that happen here. So this morning, I want us first, before we get into Ephesians 5, we may not even get here. We got to go back to find out where the trouble began. Now go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. One of the things that Satan does is that he takes that which is good, created and instituted by God. That's what I'm talking about when I say good. And he makes it bad by devolving, if you will, not evolution, but devolution. Into sin. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, we find this scene of which we need to make mention. There are four things that Satan tries to, if you will, deplete or destroy or change. Whatever you want to put there. And they're laid out for us in Genesis chapter 3. The first thing Satan did as he met with the woman. Is that he desired to destroy, change the name of God. The image of God. In chapter 2, and in the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 3, you will notice that God is referenced as Lord God. That's not my mistake. In chapter 1, the name of God is Elohim. Plural, if you will, to infer the triune Godhead Involved in creation. In chapter 2, now it becomes Lord God. Let me tell you what that means. He's in charge. He is the king. Lord God literally means God Almighty. Ruler of all that there is. He calls the shots. I'm not a proponent of the Supreme Court. I don't care what they say. If it doesn't match the king's words, it means nothing to me. He's the king. He is Lord God Almighty. Everything is under his control. But Satan comes to the woman and he says, hath God said. He left off Lord. 
Because what he wanted to do is leave off a relationship. You can make God whoever you want him to be. And we see a lot of that in our society today, don't we? You can pan him out to be what you want him to be in order that you control him. And so Satan said, hath God said. He wanted to remove God's authority in order to entice the woman Satan is always trying to remove the authority of God out of society. Subscribe for us in 1 John chapter 2. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's all what we want. When the Lord God, when he is the authority... Then you begin to live according to what he wants. And when Satan showed up as a serpent, he came to Eve. Because the second position is this. He wanted to change the word of God. For he said, hath God said? In other words... What God has to say is not that important because he goes on to expound when he says, God just don't want you to be happy. He's trying to keep you down. God's stingy. What right does God have to do that? He put doubt in the word of God. That both Adam and the woman were familiar with. Now where am I going with this? How, how often do you feel that the word of God is trying to keep you down? How is it that you sense Jesus being a little stingy on the blessing? Why isn't it? That, that Lord Jesus, why, why, why do I have to go through this? It's not fair. We got a wrong view of the word of God. Let me tell you a little bit about the word of God. It's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's that powerful that it can divide, it can slice apart Soul and spirit. It's that powerful that it is profitable for everything. Let me give you this to wrap it up. Just this point, by the way, not the whole thing. If you want God's blessing, then you better pay attention to what God's saying. It's right here. It's like ragu. You see that commercial? 
Does it taste like grandma's? It's in there. Does it got all the spices I'm used to having? It's in there. Is it thick like, like grandma? It's in there. I want to tell you something. The word of God, it's in here. Don't allow Satan to change the word of God. Let it stand. Because there's a part of the word of God that Satan can't change. And it comes about in Revelation chapter 21. Don't get me excited about this. That he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. And there's no way he's changing that. Someone help me out this morning. First he tried to change the name of God. The image of God. Then he tried to change the word of God. Third thing he tries to do is change the relationship between man and woman. When you go to chapter 2, when God describes in the Hebrew word for Adam, man, it means ish, I-S-H in the Hebrew. And then when God put that sleep on Adam, removed from him a rib, and then he fashioned. Remember, guys, we were created from dirt, but our wives were fashioned by the hand of God. And when God presented the woman to Adam, Adam called her I-S-H-A, Isha. Adam gave to woman his name. They were that tight. They were that close. It's like being on the mouse ride at Hershey Park. When you go around those corners, you ain't staying apart. You're glued to each other. You come off that ride with eye sockets about the size of a half dollar. But during the ride, it's nice to have your wife snuggled right into you, screaming in your ear. Ish, isha. The only thing that separated them was one letter, A. And isn't it interesting that A is the beginning of the alphabet? Nothing before it, a lot after. Satan tried to change that position because he went to the woman first. Wanting her to make decisions of life. Usurping authority that's not hers to have. Now, before all you ladies here in this wonderful congregation, before that hair bristles up on the back of your neck, the position that God puts you in is not to make you a mat or a rug to be stepped on. You are a helper. 
And it's interesting pointed out to me this morning in one of my discussions is that the Hebrew word in the book of Proverbs, wisdom, is feminine. And men, when mama speaks, it's best we be listening. Can I get an amen? Oh, that's pretty weak there, let me tell you that. <laughs> Satan wanted to put the woman in a position that God never intended it to be. Because God's position is greatly to be praised. And the fourth thing that happened is that Satan changed the relationship with God. Do you know that the first time the word fear appears in the scriptures, it's written in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10. For it says, as God is calling out, Adam, where are you? And when he finds him, what does Adam say? Why? God said, why did you hide from me? Remember, they walked together. The only individuals with physical eyes that could behold the glory of God, they walked with him. Now, they're hiding from him. Why? Because... Adam said this, and he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was afraid. First time in the scriptures that the word fear, afraid, is used in connection with a relationship that has been broken between man and God. That's foundational. Now, for the next hour, let's turn to Ephesians 5. No, it won't be that long. Ephesians 5. I want to begin... In verse 25. First of all, establish for you that marriage is a covenant. In other words, marriage was established by God. It's not man's idea. A covenant is more than a formal contractual agreement. Biblically, it's a spiritual and relational bond between God and a person or people, inclusive of certain agreements, conditions, benefits, and effects. 
The Bible refers to a number of different covenants. You have the Abrahamic covenant. The promise of God to bless Abraham with a seed that is unnumerable. Also in that is the promise of a land that would be his and all Israel's. There's the Mosaic Covenant that God promised to Moses not only giving him a copy of heaven's rules but establishing them as a guideline, a foundation of life. There's the Davidic Covenant where David is promised that he will always have in his lineage a king to set on the throne in Jerusalem. Oh, but that king is coming again, dear people. And so marriage, we can say, was the very first covenant that God made. And it was between a man and a woman. And so therefore, the marriage covenant can never operate to its fullest potential without the ongoing involvement of God. And one of the surest ways to experience fulfillment in a marriage is for spouses to align under the comprehensive rule of God. What does God say? Now Ephesians chapter 5. The question is this. What does this mean practically? It occurs when God's thoughts and his word are brought to bear on every decision and interaction within the marriage and home. It means that God has the final say as ruler and supreme authority, whether that involves emotion, relational approaches, financial decisions, work-related choices, or other things. That's what is called in Ephesians 5, 32, mirroring the mystery of Christ and his church. Oh, I wish I had another half hour. But I don't. Let me quickly draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Too many men think headship means playing dictator and telling everyone what to do. Let me give you quickly on the back, let me give you three leadership positions. 
The first one is this. It's a dictator. Ruling, if you will, by force and fear. The second one is passive. Passive means not really caring about decisions, but if decisions go wrong, they blame other people. It's their fault. Thirdly, is a loving leader. A loving leader is an individual that is engaged in the situation and energizing the individuals in the midst of the situation. But biblical headship means being a responsible governing authority. Whatever you do, men, do not take Washington, D.C. as your example. It's Jesus. It's his word. The husband is responsible for leading his family in the advancement of God's kingdom and is to be in the context of love. In biblical love, compassionately, righteously, and sacrificially pursues the well-being of another. Though it is not specifically said, but I can tell you this, that husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Because this kind of love, God looks for the cross. A sacrifice. Someone once said that marriage is a 50-50 proposition. That boy ought to be taken out back and whipped. It's all or nothing. It's 100%. And sometimes it's a sacrifice. Men, we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our wife. In such a dynamic way. Ladies. Those of you that aren't married. When you start looking. When you come across a fella. Who is greedy. And only wants what he wants. You put yourself a wall. Between him and her. Him and you. That's not the one you want. You want a man. That's willing to lay down his life for you. Who's willing to make sure. That you. Are well taken care of. That home. Is a place of peace. And not strife. How often do you know in your relationship with Jesus Christ that you find in him strife? He's peace. Oh, Lord, the time is gone. You're going to have to wait for two weeks. Oh, we ain't even started yet, people. 
We're going to be in Ephesians 5 for a long time. Uh, let me help you out. Start memorizing it. But instead of starting at verse 22, start at verse 21. Because in verse 21, ladies, catch this. It says, be subject to one another. You know how dynamic that word is? To think that God would subject himself to listen to us when we pray. That's the picture. That's the picture. We'll get back to this passage sometime. A couple weeks. I think my wife's going to hide the keys to the flex. That's okay. I got another set. I can't sit still. I can't. That's not in me to sit still. But my wife has a baseball bat. (laughs) Bless her heart. I know she's thinking of the best for me. She's sacrificed enough for me. Staying with me for two weeks in that parsonage? That's not sacrifice. That's punishment. But we'll see what the Lord has. Again, I'm sorry I can't stand out there to greet you. I wish I could. But let's stand together as we're dismissed in prayer. We don't need the last video, Kent. Thank you. God, our Father, it's through the name and the work of Christ our Savior that we come to say thank you. We thank you for your word. And that every season of life, every situation of life, every problem of life has has its answer in your word that you've given us. We're faced with a, a teaching that's not overly popular today. But God in you, it can change families and hearts. Yes, and it can even reach this nation again. Let us be mirrors of this mystery of Christ and his church. And as we leave these halls and go to our Sunday school classes, Go to the busyness of the rest of the week. Let us remind ourselves that you are our all in all. You are the Lamb of God. Worthy is your name. And may you be lifted high in our words, in our lives. And I'll praise you in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen.